I had no idea what to expect, man. But this is one thing that really worked well for me is that like, I was an actor before I was in tech, man. Reje I like eat rejection for breakfast. Welcome back to This Week in No Code. I'm your host, JJ English. Here are my co-host, David Pal, And thank you all for tuning in for another week of This Week in No Code. And if you haven't heard already, we have won the best podcast for the Community Awards this year. The 2020 <laughs> No Code Community Awards voted This Week in No Code as the best podcast for No Code. Really appreciate all those that voted for us. This is a new podcast. It's also a new award ceremony, but still it was voted by the community. We really appreciate the love and support. David and our producer Harrison work hard each week to bring you the latest and greatest in no code and AI, giving you interviews with the best founders, industry experts, all kinds of entrepreneurs and all walks of life to give you guys more value. And so really glad to see that it's been paying off in this way. And of course, today we have another fantastic show for you. We have a slate full of news that Dave is going to get started off with in just a few minutes. And then we get into an industry expert interview with Philip Lakin, the CEO of No Code Ops, and a new tool called Operator, which is in beta. It's a really awesome interview that details his journey as an entrepreneur, why he built these companies for the No Code industry, what they do, and how they're helping, you know, no coders, automators excel. And then also, what his thoughts are for 2024. We'll get into that right after this no-code news segment, starting off with David. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm back here in Los Angeles, so nothing, nothing too funny. Wednesday from wet Los Angeles, I guess. <laughs> there we go. The first news for this week, we are happy to announce Durable raised their Series A a whopping $14 million led by Spark Capital. The Durable platform is a business platform that uses AI in interesting ways. They're a little bit better than just a website builder. They have an, an AI builder that helps you get your platform up and running, but they also have an AI blog tool. They also have CRM functionality, and as you can see on the screen, even some AI assistance and invoice. So really, they are doing a great job at enabling entrepreneurs to harness AI for their business. Instead of just whacking on AI as a product itself, they're working to make AI work for you. I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. When you first showed this to me, I was just like, okay, it's another AI builder, website builder, front end. And that's not too exciting. But where I get excited with this is all the AI tools that they're doing, you know, like the common tools that business owners need. CRMs, invoices, you know, like those common things just being built out of the box for you for whatever idea you need. I think that's where it starts to really make sense and it add value. It's interesting in their announcement, the CEO talks about his journey as an entrepreneur and how he's been starting businesses and running businesses for such a long time. Some of them are the sweaty businesses, right? He talks about having a window cleaning company and a lemonade stand, right? Like as a little kid. And these are the tools that he needs or he needed, you know, running those things. Obviously, he's running that company, still sweaty sometimes, as you can as you can imagine. But he knows the pain. And so he's like, hey, how can I just make it make the lives easier for entrepreneurs? And that is just an admirable journey. 
Yeah, and congrats on a healthy Series A raise. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Over six million websites created, it says, which is wow, quite that's a that's impressive yeah. in itself. Let's head over to the Adobe and Figma deal. So Ooh. after 15 months, they have finally abandoned this deal after some regulators in the UK deemed that this would create a monopoly and created some antitrust things. And eventually Adobe and Figma backed out of this $20 billion acquisition. You know, there was regulatory pressures. There was a U.S. Justice Department involvement, European Commission's investigation. There's a breakup fee where Adobe is required to pay a breakup fee of a billion dollars to Figma due to the deal's failure. So that's a lot of money. And there's it's a actually lot of more there. money than Figma has raised to date. Like, so they, had, so it's basically a series F round or whatever. Without any outreach. Right into their pockets. That's, I mean, honestly, that's such smart deal planning to have that yeah. con like stipulation in there. And also, I mean, think about it like this, okay? Figma, on one side, if you're an employee, you're probably bummed because you were totally. going to, you were going to be made a millionaire in many w different ways from this acquisition, right? So, and I can't even imagine that of just like, we just made it, ah, and then 15 months, and then, <laughs> oh, shoot, right? Like, I know that would be a roller coaster for the employees of right now. So that's really tough. But that brings them back on the market. They're still independent. A company like Adobe wanted to buy it so that you know that they're validated. And they just got a billion dollars in the bank oh. without losing any equity. It's not a terrible outcome. And the, the news coming out says they've actually grown 40% since the deal started so they're not waiting around yeah they knew there was a chance that this was going to happen i think when the figma deal was announced the adobe acquisition lots of people who are figma fanatics hated the fact that adobe bought them because adobe was the enemy like the adobe yeah. was the company they were trying yeah. to not become and not they didn't want to use those tools they didn't want to be stuck in the adobe playground so I'm sure those people are pretty happy. It's definitely hard to be an employee at Figma thinking, oh, wow, I just made all of this money. They may have even this money. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they got a loan against the share like to buy a to do whatever. Yeah. yeah. And now it's worth nothing. I mean, it's still worth a lot of money, right? It's actually Figma's probably worth twelve billion dollars, ten to twelve, not twenty. Um, so it's definitely gonna be hard for those employees to get back to work. Yeah, that's really tough. But I think all said and done, like you said, a lot of the people that really love Figma were really stoked because Figma's gonna still came I mean, mm -hmm. like cool. They got a billion dollars in the bank. It's a really great uh, trajectory going forward. They're just not liquidating as soon as they thought. So all in all, crazy that this happened. But let's move on to McDonald's, what are we seeing over there, David? Okay, so McDonald's, big company, you think about them as you know, just a fast food restaurant. But in many ways, over the past few years, they are trying to transform into a tech company. Not yeah, that are. they're producing tech, you're not eating a sandwich made out of chips, like microchips, chips, like french fries. I mean, they want to enable their employees mm -hmm. and their customers to use technology more. Really exciting. So how does AI impact McDonald's, right? Not a thing people are normally thinking about. They're thinking, well, how do I, you know, process invoices with AI more effectively? How do I send emails more effectively? Well, McDonald's is trying to think about how AI works. And so they launched Ask Pickles, which is their employee <laughs> chatbot that has been trained on data 
uh, from 50,000 different locations from this is useful for their employees. That's who's testing it first. That's the first product they're, they're launching. And then the next thing they've been talking about is how to improve the drive-through and ordering experience using AI to either be the ordering system, right? To let them do that, to expand suggestions and make recommendations. It's a really interesting process. What's interesting about the news article that came out is they're, you know, promoting themselves as, hey, we're getting into AI, we're doing this thing, we're trying all these things. At the ordering system, they're only trying it with a hundred different locations. Yeah. Which is not really this, hey, it's working really well for us. It's like a tiny little test. Mm -hmm. Right. If you think about how many McDonald's locations, I don't know, fifty thousand, more than that at least, right? A hundred locations is basically nothing. Yeah. So we'll see how this goes. When I was at ads on top, we actually were approached by a fast food chain, not McDonald's, but just a like a regional chain. They were interested in how we could show different content on the screen based on what people were ordering, the voice, like the demographics we could pick up in the voice. And so it was a really interesting application wow. of AI and digital signage and content. And this was like five years, maybe not. Or three and a half years ago. So yeah. this was like an interesting, I'm curious to see how McDonald's does this stuff like this, because it's going to help with upsells and really increase revenue. Yeah, we know McDonald's as the burger chain, but I mean, yeah. they, they've been smart and ahead of the game for a long time. You know, they got into the real estate industry, you know, thinking about real estate first yeah. and now AI, you know, they have so much data. And if this data can help them, essentially... First, leverage for insights. Where can they improve? But then second, just take these orders. Why can't they just take these orders, right? And just have people focus on actually making the food and delivering the food. 100% it's going to happen. And we're going to yeah. get there very soon. And then that also means that, you know, they can become more, you know, economical. And so maybe they help us with prices or they become, it, there's a whole thing that goes into this. But I just love to see that it's happening. And mainstream like this, even though it's slow and a small amount of testing, it's it's still like we're adopting AI. The AI is the future. This is where we're going. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's interesting. I knew, I've known some people who worked at McDonald's. That was like their first job. Yeah. Well, if those jobs go to AI, what what are people's first jobs? Hmm. Like then what, right? Like how do you train the workforce to be a good worker? Right. One of the things McDonald's is really good at is training people to be efficient. And if they're not working at McDonald's, like there are many other jobs, right? Yeah. Just, hey, you have to work. But then what? Like where, where do people work? We'll create something new. It, it, it will make it happen. Let's get on to the next story with Delphi, which is clone yourself. So it's a new digital cloning platform, which was just launched to the public. This innovative AI technology enables one-to-one -one interactions with experts like CEOs, creators, coaches, influencers, and politicians at scale. So it has personalized interactions where users can engage with the digital clones of experts, ensuring tailored and relevant conversations. So if you want to spin up a clone for Steve Jobs or whatever, you can then interact with that person. Or you could spin up a clone of yourself. And then you can make that clone available on many different platforms. So such as they want to respond like you on Twitter, or they want to have, you know, a voice bot or stuff like that. They built all these tools for creators and experts 
to expand their reach and refine their content based on, you know, what they're seeing and also getting actionable insights from those conversations along the way. So it's, I think one of the first things that we'll see of cloning yourself and how can we use this to leverage more of our time, be more efficient, responding to social media, like things, responding to emails, we maybe even being in meetings, you know, like this is a very, like, we have a big step to make here. This is a very small step forward, but it's still a step in that direction. Yeah. I'm curious what the best use cases is. I, I still think a lot of the AI stuff we're seeing is cool because we haven't seen it before, but they're starting to become a little bit more commoditized and less exciting. Yeah. And so where does the real value come in? I think there are certain things like, you know, if I could have a conversation with someone using this clone, maybe an venture capitalist, talk about my business idea, pitch them. Yeah, maybe it's helpful. Cool idea. But they're not, like, maybe that's not the intuition they would have, the insight they would have, right? Yeah. It's like a guess of what they might say. And so in those cases, like, it doesn't replace that conversation, right? Like, I would never say, oh, well, I talked to, like, fake Andreessen, you know, Mark Andreessen. So it's effectively the same. I wouldn't say that. But in certain cases, when you couldn't talk to someone again, a historical figure, a family member who's no longer alive, that could be a little bit more like heartwarming, maybe a little cooler as well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious how this actually like really finds value. This company seems to have raised a lot of money, like tens of millions of dollars, which is, I mean, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, I don't want to really replace myself. If, you know, if you had texted me, hey, what do you want for lunch today? <laughs> it will give you an answer. Yeah. Right. It's close. It, it, it's it's but a step I, in the direction. Yeah, really We're not there yet. Yeah. And I, I think the way that they're doing this with a lot of different tools to like leverage this in many different ways and then the insights for it is exciting because there's a lot of different tooling around this. The concepted idea of like everyone says, oh, I wish I could have 10 of me, right? Like this is, half a step towards that direction we still have a long way to go but i think in the next year or two there is a lot of potential to really seeing a lot of this out and so i i personally i get excited about this tech i know that there's still a lot of things of you know what is good and what isn't yet but i'm excited to see that we're going in directions like this and i think it's going to open up many more yeah. doors for us yeah awesome. i think yeah you know, we'll see where it goes yeah, yeah. All right, so why don't we get into our interview with Philip and let's welcome him to the stage. What's up, everyone? We are here with Philip Lakin, the CEO of No Code Ops and just a man of many talents. Philip, thank you for joining us today. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. Let's, let's start with what is No Code Ops? <laughs> yeah, it's no a great code question. <laughs> no Code Ops uh, is both a community for no code operations professionals. So, ops folks like marketing ops, sales ops, people ops. Ops, ops, folks, in <laughs> uh, no, you know, who use no code tools for their work. We're over ten thousand subscribers our newsletter, over a thousand folks in our vetted Discord community, and then we also are working on a product called Operator that's in beta right now for those for those types of users. We focus on automation management and visibility. So we found a lot mm -hmm. of our users were documenting their automations when scaling them in crazy spreadsheets and, you know, flow charts and, and we're working on replacing that and automating it. So, you know, you can, you can understand the visibility 
of your automations, your dependencies, how they all map together in one place. And, you know, we're starting with Airtable and Zapier, but growing our tools that we're integrating with uh, every single day. Very cool. And there's also some kind of alert tracking, right? Or air tracking. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we do right now is, so first of all, we provide you a whole change log of every single change you have in Zapier. So who made the change, when it got changed, you know, what was the actual change? And those logs can be turned into notifications to the right person or right team based on how you tag them in our system, right? So if somebody say turns off a zap or, you know, zap gets turned off, right? That by the system that you care about because it's related to something that you deem is critical or it's, you know, related to the marketing team, you or the marketing team or both of you can get a notification about that in our system and we can create an issue for it. Furthermore, because we're so deeply integrated with Airtable, if there's an Airtable field being used in action step of a zap and somebody messes with that field, even if it doesn't break the zap, we can alert the owner of that zap saying, Hey, somebody messed with this field. You may want to check it out because it may impact yeah. your zap. So yeah. Someone's at your front door. Maybe you want to know who that is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Playing around here. Yeah. Which are problems when you're just one person, you know, kind of playing with this stuff or just in your early part of your journey. But, you know, as you do this stuff at bigger companies and more people are involved and more departments are involved, this stuff can get really hairy. And mm -hmm. so you know, devs have all these tools for collaborating and monitoring and data teams have all these tools for collaborating and monitoring. No coders just don't have it outside of the single systems themselves. And so we work with a multitude of systems. So we deserve tooling just like devs and data people have. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And so how, how did you get into this? What you were, you were a bubbler, you were building stuff, you were snowboarding, you were... Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So I have a weird background by way of tech. I guess a lot of no coders do, right? None of us like knew we were going to go. Nobody into goes to college. I want to go happier for a week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I was actually uh, a professional actor before I was in tech. Cool. So real on the other mm -hmm. side of the stuff. Yeah. And did everything from like Law and Order and Gossip Girl to cool. films and like Cannes and Tribeca Film Festival and. When I was an actor, I was like a super mediocre waiter. And so I never really like climbed the ranks of that. And so I ended up doing a lot of like guerrilla marketing and promotions work that I just like truly fell in love with. And eventually started my own company doing that. Then that company got acquired by one of our clients who is Get, an Israeli-based Uber competitor. Mm -hmm. And when Get acquired us, they, you know, working in New York for them, they were like, we want you to find a way to take our pen and paper process of onboarding drivers, rideshare drivers in, you know, in the office, where you digitize it, take it to the field. And I said, great, what team do I work with, like, technically to, like, make this happen? They're like, no, 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 you're an ox. Like, <laughs> you're your own team. And I was like, cool. <laughs> Got it. So I used Pronto Forms, which is like an online form provider that can sync offline, which is really important for us because the, you know, field, the field stuff is always super spotty. Zapier and Google Sheets to create a front end and back end application that ended up onboarding over 20,000 rideshare drivers in under a year and a half. And so for that got recruit, you know, because of that got uh, headhunted at a company called Compass, a uh, real estate technology company, and did a lot of no code stuff, including real estate agent onboarding processes, all with no code tools. So I used Zapier and Enboarder and Google Sheets to create a huge onboarding process nationally. So even to this day, you know, I took Compass from like 
with that, what was it, like 2,000 agents all the way through 17,000 agents nice. across the U.S. and going public. And still to this day, if you onboard to Compass, you're going through the end border kind of nice. no-code build. And so the short-ish answer there, right, is I got into this stuff because I had to, right? Like, I, I didn't choose it. I, like, I just, there was stuff that needed to get done internally in all these processes, and there was no devs to help out, or they were focused on, like, client-facing, you know, things or, you know, unique value prop things. And so I had to figure this stuff out and I did. And then the problem happened to me that like happens to most folks who figure this stuff out of their companies is like what I call the paradox of success where like you do stuff, you get really good at it. And then all of a sudden, everybody in the organization is coming. You're stereotyped. To yeah. You're, you're typecasted. You're typecasted. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So I got typecasted. as like the guy to go to for everything that you don't want to deal with devs or IT for. Yeah. So that was me. Um, Fantastic. And that's cool at first, but then all of a sudden you're getting bombarded with stuff. And uh, and then there's like real automation. It's a real scale. And it's just like, oh no, like this is like a thing. That's this grown. is a thing. Yeah. And, and people want to learn how to do it and also get involved in your stuff. And make and sure that, that it doesn't break and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You got it. And then it becomes a Twilight Zone episode yeah. where like you did all of this. Because you didn't want to deal with somebody else's roadmap. And now all of a sudden, you've got a fucking roadmap. Yeah, with <laughs> someone else's things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> how do you deal with all this? You know, the, and, I, and I learned that the skills like scaling this stuff is much different than the skills like starting to use this stuff. Yeah. And hmm. so when I saw that like no code was a thing, I got really jazzed. And then when I saw that, you know, there was just not a lot of talk at the time around like operations professionals doing this stuff. It was all about like, indie makers and builders and I really like a name for them you know yeah the only name that was really out there and it's still around like citizen developer which is like that's right. a great name yeah no one yeah, wants to make that no name on of like hey i'm a citizen developer yeah you know? no one says that right like it's yeah. like good citizen i'm a good citizen you know no yeah. one goes about that i'm a good citizen i contribute to my local community by yeah. developing tools for people <laughs> in my neighborhood citizen yeah. developer feels like a very it just feels like a very like Good, good job. Good yeah. job. Like, you're not from yeah. IT. Star. It's not you were a developer. Yeah. yeah. So started no code ops as a newsletter. Newsletter grew and, you know, then turned into community. And then we, you know, funding and building products. And yeah. Yeah. You know, I relate a lot to this in the sense that I was working as a marketing specialist. And they're like, hey, we want to build this quiz. And then we want to take from the quiz results, go into two funnels. Are they a good fit or are they not a good fit? And then from that went into a Zapier, then that went into an email campaign. And then before I knew it, I had an automation that was doing just about 15 to 20,000 leads a month. And they, and I was a no-code out or no-code builder. Yeah, I you were it. it. You were the guy. Yeah, I was yeah. the guy. I didn't, I didn't have a name for myself. I was just like, they needed this. I did it. Now I was very valuable to the company because yeah. I had to build this system, right? Yeah. But it came quick. I learned it for the first time. And then I also was like, I didn't know who to go to outside of that because like what is what is this thing that i'm doing you know it's very yeah. new and it doesn't doesn't feel special but it is special and yeah and it's hard because no one in the organization right like you're wants to talk about it on the level that you do and like that's yeah. why we started the community on this front right because you know the technical people are like eh, no code you know what i mean like it's mm -hmm. not what we do and like mm -hmm. thanks for taking stuff off our plate but like it's not what we do yeah. uh and then the the non-technical people on the business side are just like just give us the result yeah. And you're like, I want to talk to someone about how badass this process yeah. is. 
You yeah. know what I mean? Or like when I'm really struggling mm-hmm. with, you know, how to connect this and this, and I don't exact connector doesn't exist. So how do I do a workaround? Like that's the yeah. community. They don't fully get it. They don't fully, I think, appreciate it until they see the results. But it takes sometimes time to see the results. But yeah, yeah, I feel that. Is, I relate to that. Is that what you see happening at companies? Like a company is strapped for resources, usually people, maybe time, maybe cash. They're like, damn, we need this process to be better. I don't know how. Let's find just this jack of all trades to figure it out. Then they stumble into this like operator, no code automation world and they're like oh wow this is way better than we thought let's double down on this is that what you see most companies yeah it's a, it's a good question so like the the textbook answer of how a company starts to engage with the idea and concepts of citizen development everybody gets together in all departments and agrees that we need a citizen developer strategy right and then we slowly and methodically pick the right tool that everyone can work with and set up a CICD process. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Like that has maybe happened right. twice in the history yeah. of mm-hmm. everything. Right. Yeah. Here, here's the reality of like what happens. Right. And that I've, it's very similar to what you, you, you were saying, but like, instead of going after the person first, what typically happens is a person goes after a product first because there's a need. Right. So there yeah. tends to be some need in the organization to just get a thing done or do a thing that could be, routing a marketing lead, creating the quiz, right? Syncing data between two places, right? Because the company's either too small, they don't have their own data team or the data team's way too busy, right? Or, you know, you know, maybe there's a big system, like a big ERP or CRM at your company, but getting on the roadmap for that takes forever, even though it's kind of not technical, but like the admins guard it very heavily. And so mm-hmm. your team just needs a live view of something in there to run a process better, that's not within that system, right? And that yeah. has attributes that you don't want managed by that team, right? So onboarding is a great example, right? Like, you know, at Compass, our, our, our kind of like HRAS for agents was our CRM, Salesforce, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they would manage the whole agent relationship in Salesforce. The problem with that was that, you know, the sales would always get the, the good stuff and ops would always get left with like, later, 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 later. And so, not driving build our own operations yeah. things right and steps off of you know our our own steps and processes that change constantly and so you know what just have a button in salesforce from the ready for onboarding that can get clicked and like it'll send a webhook to onboarder and we'll run all of our steps and we'll let you know when it's done right so there you go yeah yeah no, that's what happens yeah i i built a product in salesforce for that exact problem you know it, we are working with a or for an insurance company you know it's a huge insurance broker who's driven by sales but they're not they're not it they have a small team that's always like you know overloaded never has time and so we could build a total front end on on bubble that just rub, runs in it doesn't require a setup that lets every person see the view they want you know every department does a little differently stop waiting just, just build it. Just do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let, let that happen. And so, you know, it turned out this project was a little bit more meta, right? It wasn't built for a specific thing. It was built for anyone to build their specific thing. Mm. They were like, hey, great. That's cool. We don't, but we don't need it. And so, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting problem. But that was the, the that's start. That's what happens, it. though. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the spark that drives people to look for these tools. And mm-hmm. then what happens is 
there's like the next step in the journey is there's like somebody who's very interested and curious in this because they're like not yeah. technical and they're on the ops team. Maybe they know a little bit of CS stuff, but like right. really they're just like curious tinkers, systems thinkers naturally. You know, maybe they love building Legos as a kid. It's like it's yeah. like that person on the mm -hmm. team, right? Who goes in and goes, you know what? I think I can figure this thing out. Like, yeah. you know. And so they sign up for a free trial of something or they get a buy-in to get swipe a credit card for like a PLG type of tool and like yeah. and just start ripping. And all of a sudden everyone's like, whoa, we can do what? Yeah. Right? And mm -hmm. then that person over time keeps learning and keeps becoming that person. And there's yeah. pros and cons of that. The pros are that- They're already on your team. You know, they're already on the team. Time. You don't have to hire more. You don't have to get more yeah. headcount, right? You don't have to get to buy-in. And- they are the closest to the problem. You always right. want someone close to the problem building it, right? Who's really invested in mm -hmm. it, right? The con of it is that these people were never trained in these things, right? right. And the, like the tools in there are so powerful, they almost leave behind the need to understand certain concepts that were actually a pretty good barrier to entry for mm -hmm. building with very powerful tools. So yeah. things like, what is a database? How do APIs actually work? What do you need for redundancies? When is something a field versus a table, right? Like there's just like very basic things like that, like normal forms on stuff that like no one's learning because they're just like getting all the good stuff right away with the tools. And so it, it's a balancing act. And, and that stuff typically comes later in the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're touching live data, there is something at stake. Really? Yeah. We're building a base. Trello board for a venture capital firm that sat on top of their Salesforce. They're like, we will never leave Salesforce because all of our data is there. Mm -hmm. But all of our data is there. So be careful. <laughs> right? Like, you run the wrong, wrong process and the database is empty and you're calling Salesforce hoping to get it undone. Right? Yeah. And yeah, so so that's the stakes, right? Like you don't have, you know, you hear these stories of, at the big tech company, the intern accidentally gets access to production and deletes a server somewhere, yeah. and then everything crashes, right? Yeah. I think this happened at AWS a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, oh, I remember yeah, where yeah. this was, but there was like some company running some huge process on like Excel or Google Sheets, right? And it just like, mm -hmm. you know, it just broke and it killed like a like a whole department, right? Like yeah. that kind of stuff happens, like. Yeah. The, I always tell people, if you were to lift up the hood of any company that you interact with on a daily basis, you would be terrified. <laughs> <laughs> like the processes that are actually going on in the background. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it can mm -hmm. get rough sometimes. So, so you, you had this idea of, you know, well, you were an operator and you had this idea. How did you end up be making this company? Yeah. So, um, let's see. So I started the newsletter, the newsletter started growing. <laughs> started you know started the community thing like oh i did a newsletter communities should be like you know fairly easy, easy as the next step yeah, oh. <laughs> no, i was like once i get the right people they're just like talk to each other right if only. no no yeah so you know i spent time there you know eventually you know like we had some like help on the community front and then and then we ended up hiring claudia who is a legend Rock and like that's <laughs> amazing yeah. and it's like taking our community from like you know the, the little kind of things like i would like somehow like started it with the like where it is today yeah. uh, and it's her full-time role it's just everything focused on community and uh -huh. so but really what happened was 
you know, I once started building the community, we saw there was just like a need in general for just help with no, with these things. And like our brand was getting some traction to like actually do some service work, right? Not that we wanted to stay in service work forever, but we, we thought, well, you know what? Like if we can nail some big clients, if we can do some service work, right? On the no code ops front, like, you know, we'll gain a little bit of credibility and like, we'll get some cash in the door and like, maybe we'll learn more about the problems that we think are out there. And like, you know, basically get paid to do R and D, right? And so we, yep. we did that. We took on that work and worked for some really big companies doing this stuff, like really big contracts, right? And, you know, found out pretty fast. The reality is that like, you just can't do both of those things at the same time well when you're small. It's mm -hmm. really hard because running an agency is really, really hard. <laughs> you know, we thought maybe we'd turn it into a marketplace, but like the margins aren't so great. And the LTV is meh, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's like why you every no good marketplace struggle, right? It's like not the easiest thing. And so what we... Unless, by the way, when I say no code marketplace, like things like also like companies like aired up killing it, right? Because like they figured out that magical like mm -hmm. managed kind of part, but like then that's all you're doing. You're not also building a product, right? Like a yeah. full venture scale product. And so, and so, you know, look, we basically what we did was we said, we've got these assets, right? We've got this community. We've got some ideas around the problems that we want to solve. We knew they were in like the infrastructure in general space. Like, how do you make no code more scalable, robust, reliable while not leaving the tools that you love? So we knew we didn't want to build an Airtable competitor, a Zapier competitor, right? Like we knew we wanted to build kind of a layer on top that gave folks the collaboration uh, and reliability that they, the aspects that they really truly needed that we kept hearing. So we took like the combination of like that thinking, the community that we had and the relationships and like big contracts that we were able to close like big name clients. And we kind of wrapped those as a package and went out to raise a pre-seed saying to investors, just so you all know, we have no idea what we're going to build. But <laughs> you have a hunch and a direction. We have and a hunch and direction, some good distribution. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, Brett and I like, you know, like decent names in the space. So it's just like, you know, I'm winging a prayer mm -hmm. back, you know, before the pandemic. So like, yeah. you know, I, 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 got, I don't know if you do this today, right? And uh, yeah, we raised like a million dollar pre-seed round led by From some pretty capital. legit people too. Yeah, so back end capital and then a bunch of like, you know, a bunch of just like angels and, you know. Can you say that one special angel's name? Oh yeah. So Wade, who is the CEO of Zapier is one of our investors as well as like, you know, the CEO. <laughs> we got a bunch of Emmanuel from Bubble is an investor. AJ from Cards, an investor. Tony Incredible. from Arisa, an investor. So yeah, Chris from Betty Blocks is an investor. So just like Arissa from Internal, like the list goes on. Like tons it's of really awesome. CEOs yeah. in the no yeah. Like the whole low code community is saying, we agree this is necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which was really, Huge. really cool. And yeah. a lot of those books came in during like our seed, which was led by Slow and Kevin Mahaffey, co led our seed. And then, and then, yeah, and then we did, we did like a seed kind of plus with uh, base 10. So, you know, and then just other great, just like amazing folks like Allison Pickens, who's like, you know, the former CEO of Gainsight and like, just, just, just an amazing set of folks. And so, yeah, that's, we, you know, we, so we raised like, you know, like call it like two and a half kind of rounds and it was all based around like getting closer and closer and closer in this idea of, uh, how do you give people this tool on top, right? This kind of single layer of 
you know, single pane of glass for visibility that not only gets all the data that they need to be able to do this stuff properly and choose the right area of data to focus on, which I think in the beginning, like we were focusing purely on error management. And so we, you know, we did like a slight pivot away from just like only error management and expanded the scope to like full visibility documentation with error management. How do you do that in a way that makes sense to no coders that they'll actually use? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like the hardest question for us. Because if you just throw a bunch of dev terms and dev frameworks, like they're just not going to use it. If it's super manual, they're just not going to do it, right? So like, mm-hmm. how do you just like have it exist and be beautiful and easy to interact with and understand and, and in a new kind of way that like works for a no coder that they'll actually, you know, incorporate into their workflows. And so that was always the biggest challenge for us. And I'm very happy to say that now that we're in beta with operator, we're feeling really good about the direction. Okay. So the, the main listener to the podcast are indie makers. I'm not going to say citizen developers, but you know, lots of yeah. indie hackers and yeah. some owners, but some people who are like aspiring entrepreneurs who are trying to build a product. For sure. many of these people, they want to talk about and learn about funding fundraising let's Can do you it explain how to raise a round of funding like how you want to approach that yeah. huge question in because i made every fucking mistake so yeah, much yeah, yeah. so what do you not yeah yeah i i've been harrison our producer i've been following along with lots of charlie munger stuff so the inversion problem right what do you not do in funding maybe a oh, good way to start uh, top start? maybe three biggest mistakes uh, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a combination of like the things that I, I think I, that ended up going well after a while, but like, okay. So one of the first big mistakes I did, right. Was just like in our, in our, our pre-seed round, I just kept hearing like, you only can get warm intros, cold intros are a waste of time. You'll never get them. It's negative signal, bullshit, 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 bullshit. Right. Problem with cold outreach is that people suck at writing cold <laughs> emails. That, that's purely the reason that it sucks, that people yeah. have this thinking that it sucks, right? Because if I'm an investor and it's my job to invest in a certain category and you send me a really good cold intro with like, hey, this is what we do. This is why we do it. Like, this is where we're at. This is why I'm reaching out to you because you invested in XYZ, right? Like, you know, that investor at the right level is kind of a schmuck if they don't reach back out to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or at least note it somewhere, you know, like you get on their radar. The, the investors mainly ignore these things. First of all, they get hundreds of these freaking emails a day, right? So you've got to work on like standing out, like doing, you know, just like making their job easy. Don't make their job hard, right? And so in our first round, I did not do that at all. In our seed round, I went hard on cold, right? I did both, right? By the way, almost uh, pretty much every founder all came from cold. Right. Like I just reached out to them. Right. Like, I just emailed Emmanuel. Like I went up to wait at South by Southwest. Right. Like I, awesome. I've been in cold every single yeah. time. I think just mm-hmm. with no intros, just like yeah. I, I'm film building this thing. And I don't even know if you invest, but if you do, I'd love to talk to you about the future of no code. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so the other thing I did with cold, I used, I think it's like openvc.app. All mm-hmm. also built on no code, really cool platform oh, cool. to reach out to like to reach out to investors. But I and by the way, we had five term sheets in our seed round, and two of them came from cold outreach. Completely oh, nice. outreach. Nice. So like it works, right? Uh 
I think that was one big mistake. What about like expectations and realistic? Like, did you go in thinking it's going to be like an easy three week thing or? I had no idea what to expect, man. But this is one thing that really worked well for me is that like, I was an actor before I was in tech, man. Reje I like eat rejection for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> when you're an actor, they say, if you get one in every 100 auditions, you are fucking rushing. Yeah. So for me, I was like, Showing up, planning for it, like just being like cool, like. And you knew your scripts. You knew what you you had to say. That your audition. Right. It's yeah. very much like an audition, right? Because yeah. by the way, it is a script. You're saying the same thing almost every time. Yeah. And there was a method in acting that you know I learned called Meisner technique, where it's all about how to say the same thing a hundred different times, but keep it fresh because you're bringing the moment and the other person's energy into how you're doing it, and like that dramatically help my pictures do help not keep it like a robot it's easy to like kind of be like a robot when you're saying the same thing yeah, every time make it relatable. you get you get kind of jaded by the 98th time of getting a no after saying probably the story things. and well, people just don't even try the 98th time they get 10 and they give up and they say I right can't. Yeah. so i'd say that's one thing i did right was that i actually went in expecting that like i'm just gonna get punched in the face 10 times a day right <laughs> like and i'm just gonna just keep going and like yeah. that's that's it. So I, I think that that part I, I did well. The other thing was in the earlier rounds and I did better in the later ones was like, you don't realize how much leverage you have until you start searching for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to like really look for like, well, actually I've done this in my past. Like what gives you credibility? Well, we got this person to invest. Well, we, you know, picked up this angel or we, you know, or we work with this big name. Client. It's not just the big name clients or how much ARR you have. Like when you're early, you've got to work to find credibility. So I worked at like, you know, like, you know, I included the fact that I worked at Compass. I was the first solutions architect there. That Brent was one of the first people to sell his, you know, boot camp to an agency in like the no-code world, right? Like we searched for leverage and like laced our thing with as much credibility as possible. Yeah, because uh, these investors don't know you at all, especially the cold call, but even the warm yeah. in phrase, like they, they may know you, but they like know a little bit of however you interacted. And they need to trust you. They're going to give you lots of money. Yeah. Right. So they need, like, unless you have this track record of, I sold this, I sold that, I did this, I met, I have, like, you had these, like, pedigree labels. You need to prove that you are a steward of their investment, that you are, like, more likely than the average person to Because startups yeah. usually fail, right? And, yeah. That's right. And you're just like a persistent motherfucker and, like, you're not going to give up and, like, you know what I mean? And I, I'll say the other thing that like was hard, right? You look, there were some investors that we got really far in the process with, right? And they would go, cool, like it'd be the you know ninth thing. They'd be like, it's just not for us. And they would, you know, kill it, right? And it's after yeah. meeting the magic partners, like all the people. You know, no matter how many times that happened, it did happen, right? Like it happened, you know, maybe like four or five times. Every time that happens and it's an investor you're really excited about, you start seeing your future with, like you start planning the <laughs> wedding. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, PR announcement. Yeah. you know there's no way that that doesn't hurt yeah that's just impossible yeah and i had to sit with that pain and like that fucking hurt man yeah you know <laughs> and like because there's part of you when you're raising right you're raising on a wing and a prayer right you were like wow we just talked to these really serious people about all these you know serious things for a long time and they said no well clearly they're right you know, yeah. and I'm full of They shit. know better than me. Yeah, they yeah. know better than me. You know what I mean? 
And I think that the the better I got at getting over that one faster, that, you know, quick no's were not a big deal. It was those ones that really kind of stung. Uh, and then the last thing is, you know, it's so funny. You can never start building your reputation in the industry that you want to go into soon enough and just start mm-hmm. taking one-on-one calls with people to give a shit soon enough. Because, you know, some of our warming shows that ended up leading to some pretty sizable investments literally just came from like folks that I talked to because Mm -hmm. somebody featured me in a newsletter talking about like things related to no code. Yeah. Like that is insane. And so keep those relationships active, like those weak ties, like really, really important. You never know who knows who. Yeah. It's interesting because the Kelger piece of advice is don't just stay busy to stay busy. Like, oh, you know, a lot of it is yeah. like making noise and, and just doing stuff. But a lot of the time, the stuff you're doing, you never know how it plays out. But a lot of the time, people like, you know, they want to fill up their calendar and just do like to be super busy and be doing things. It is the you don't exactly know how counterintuitive motion for raising and for early sales. It is all about quantity. It's mm-hmm. literally all it's about. Now, would I say... Hey, you got your pitch ready. You want to send your memo out or, you know, you want to send like your intro email out, like start with the best investors. Like, oh, by the way, I fucked that one up too, right? I was like, oh, yeah, the yeah. people on top of my list, I'm reaching out to them first. Like, no, no, no. Reach yeah, out yeah. to like the first. first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get some reps in. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh-huh. and go back to those. By the way, also, there's a really good book on pre-seed and seed fundraising I recommend to everyone that I just think is like the Bible on this front. It's just called Fundraising. I think it's by Ryan Breslau, I want to say. It's like an orange book. You're reading a day. It's really easy. It's called fundraising. It's great. Um, but like, yeah, I, there's another book that I'm reading for any founder that's, you know, their first kind of salesperson at the company. It's called Founding Sales. Book is like hmm. hitting gem that someone recommended to me a while back. And I'm like, mind blown by it. And they were, you know, he's saying like, look, when you're a founder, you're coming into sales. Like, you know, you're always thinking quality is founder quality. And it's like, sales is about numbers on the board, man. You, mm-hmm. the more numbers you put on the board, you know, uh, the, you're going to get better stuff. You're going to better quality stuff. And like, I just put a lot of numbers on the board when it came to talking to investors. I was, you know, you know, talking to like, I've had it. Yeah, you got to like, learn what keywords matter. A day for yeah. three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we mentioned that you're reading a script, but in the early pitches, you're really refining that script of like what key, keywords, concepts, how do you phrase certain things? That gets people excited. Like you really have to be more intuitive to how people. It are is literally an o, it's O and MVP learning iteration process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's your like, product as a pre-seed, right? Like, right. If you're and then actually, this the pitch is the product. Yes, and that and you and the pitch are the product, right? So one thing I learned there was not only to get what are like the five or ten most common questions and like be prepared to answer them, but I would actually put them in my memo. And say, here's my FAQ. You know, mm-hmm. even before yeah, I know you're going to ask me these five questions. Here's yeah. the answer. Yeah. Right. People would eat that up. They would love that. Because mm-hmm. there's self awareness and, the, you know, all yeah. that stuff. But like, yeah, man, I was constantly tweaking things. And that was a shitty part about being an actor, right? Like, you get rejected, like, can't change me. I'm the product, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which I change whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it must have been also really tough for you because you didn't have revenue. You didn't have a product yet. This was, and you didn't even have really an idea yet. Yeah. You had a thought of like, here, 
and which is even harder to raise money with. Like, yeah, I will say the one good thing is though is that we showed them through services that like we were able to land six figure contracts. Okay, you know, like and I think that was really you could deliver something. We could, yeah. and we knew how to work with big companies. And by the way, it's the other thing I say to founders who are like in, especially in the B two B space. Be honest, man. The biggest hack that I had as a the thing that accelerated me the most as a B two B founder was the fact that I worked at other B2B SaaS companies before mm. I started my own. Because my network came from there, my experience came from there, my early clients came from there, my credibility came from there, all of it. And like, you know, I, I just, I learned so much, especially from working at Compass, that like, it was just such an unfair advantage to other folks who had never had that experience. Yeah. You also had yeah. to pitch the whole no code thing to people that didn't know no code or the value oh, yeah. of code. And so there's a lot of education that came with that. So you know, you know, as no code or auto, like Airtable, Zapier. I would use no code. Yeah. And I would actually like if someone didn't believe in. Oh, that was the other thing. In the early days of pitching, if someone didn't believe in no code, I would spend half the call convincing them that no code is the future. Yeah. And then towards, you know, later. If they're just like, no, 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 about this whole no thing, you'd be like, cool, this is probably just like not a good fit. Want to talk about something else? Like, because <laughs> you do. Because like, yeah. I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's useless. Like, uh, I can't drive someone to invest in the no code space, not investing in the no code space. But if you are investing in the no code space, you are investing in future work and operations, you do kind of believe in this stuff, I can get you over the line. Now, can I put you on a spot real quick? Yeah. Can you pitch us on investing in the no code space? Oh. The space or operator or both? What do you think, David? The space. I, 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 this yeah. is the pitch that anyone listening needs to use for their MVP pitch. For exactly. Sure. So um, I, 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 would, I would put it as simply as this. As the world uh, progresses into every company being a technology company, okay, Kmart, is a technology company. Uh, Target is a technology company. Uh, Bank of America is a technology company. Uh, your car wash is using SaaS, right? Every technology in some degree is using technology to further the bottom line of their business. At the end of the day, as that continues to progress and happen, more people are working with more interfaces and more data than ever before in human history. And not all of those people are developers. In fact, we're on a major decline with developers, if anything, right? In terms of all the need for them. And so what happens at multiple size companies is that people who are non-technical in training are working with off-the-shelf SaaS tools and known low-code tools to create the interfaces, workflows, and automations for their companies that are needed. And a few years ago, that was great. That that's, you know, that, that person would just do the thing or maybe they use an agency to do that. And that was all well and fine. But now what we're seeing is infrastructure is being built on top of those things. And people are relying on those things and major critical workflows that enable sales and governance and compliance and security are all being done with like no code drag and drop processes. And they're more interconnected than ever before. There is no one-stop software solution anymore. There is a, you know, people are moving away from the SAPs and the sales forces, right? Into the HubSpots and more sheet-like interfaces, you know, with multiple kind of ways of looking at stuff. And so when you have that happening, 
the need for better tooling, vertical tooling, tooling that can look across this stuff that can allow a sustainable building of these products and allow them to be maintained and give them the same respect that a coded stack or a data stack would have. This is the world that we're in. And by the way, anyone who invested in the data world, when everyone was just looking at the devs and going, ah, data people are never going to get their own tooling. Data people are never, it's always going to sit with the devs. There you go. We're on the <laughs> same frontier right now, but for no code operational data. There we go. Cool. Good job. I'd invest in you. <laughs> yeah. Great. Woo. Yeah. Go team. You know, I, I told David the other day, I feel like no code is the new IT department where it's just like all these companies need it. They have all this data. They need more automations. They need more efficiencies. They need, you know, all these things that every team is going to need a no code operator at some point. They all need it. And or by the way, I'd actually argue that most teams do have this person already. It's just yes. they don't know they're a no coder yet. Because by the it's, way, five years ago, you never heard the term marketing ops, sales ops, people right. ops. Those are all no-code operators who either may know it or may not yet, right? right. Like it is, it's the same thing, by the way, happened in data, right? right? Where everyone would line up to get their their dashboards or workflows or transformations from the data team. And then every team started getting their own data person be like, fuck that, I don't want to wait in line, right? So I want this ambassador to send. So the same thing started happening with all these non-technical teams. Marketing was like, I don't want to wait for the tech team, the, the CRM right. admin to do this. Like, we just want an ops person to do it. You know, who knows more technical stuff than we do, but can figure this stuff out. And that's how marketing ops was born. So yeah. like, it's this, it, that is the person. It is happening. We're just not called that quite yet. We need like and a landing page of like, are you a no-code operator? And it's like three questions. Do you work with automation? Yes, you're a no-code operator. Welcome to the community. One of us. One of us, exactly. Looking, looking into the future, we see, you know, we were talking about data, ops turning now into no code looking into the future there's obviously ai is this thing that's coming a couple of weeks ago on the pod we introduced bardeen which is like this ai zapier well, kind of thing in the chrome extension in, you know really into your work as you see ai kind of pulling in a lot of zapier functions a lot of these automations that's just done with natural language how does that affect building systems on top of it, it feels like they're just, you know, it's like this Fantasia movie, slipping, you know, they're double, right? Just keep growing. Yeah. How, does, how, does that, how does that change? Yeah, so look, I, I mean, I'd love to say I have the kind of future looking glass of just like, but every time I try to make a prediction about AI, I feel like it just surpasses it or like mm -hmm. it changes. So it, it's just moving so, so, so fast. But I, I'll tell you what I know from like what I've seen thus far and like, um, patterns that I'm seeing are one, I love that I'm seeing AI being brought into no code products to do things better and faster that people are already doing. I, if there's anything I hate eh, that I'm seeing or not hate is stronger, but like the thing is like super whack is like making up needs because AI, it would be cool. Like you could totally yeah. tell every time you open up a no or low code product, be like, what was the stupid CEO ask or executive ask, right? Like, Oh, there, we need to yeah, 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 bring it in and do this, right? <laughs> like, I saw a demo online, so we must do it. Yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. It's like, yeah, 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 those are not interesting. But what is interesting is like the things that people, AI can genuinely do better. And I think that is so interesting. Like there's one feature in Zapier that I love where it's like, if you have an error, 
it can help translate that error into like human readable English, right? Like, yeah. see, so like much that fun. is so good, yeah. right? Like, and it can like search their stuff, you know, their, you know, yeah. that is so smart. Like stuff like that, I, I'm obsessed with, right? Things that you're already doing that like the human wants assistance with. Now, look, the AI is crazy in that like you could technically think of a world one day where it's like, you don't have to drag and drop an interface. You just write like, you know, there's the whole idea of like disposable interfaces where it's just like, eh, for the next week, I need a dashboard that does this. You just type it up and it, you know, it, mm -hmm. it appears, right? And I, I hear that. I have some doubts about that, right? From two angles. One, you, you end up needing like all this configuration and thinking that goes into things that just like writing a sentence or just, you know, saying I need a CRM for X, like, it just doesn't take into account, right? Like you, you've got, there's no way to remove the fact that you need to make certain decisions when building or constructing things, right? Like a lot yeah. of decisions can be distracted away and removed, but like you still need to make certain decisions. And I don't know if like that necessarily solves that. Eh, I, I, I don't know. And I think removing the builder from every single decision being made is like, I don't think the answer either, right? Because that's a little scary for a multitude of reasons. Governance updating, you know, being one of them. The other thing is like, I think when it comes to all things AI, like, yeah, we just like have the tendency to think it's just going to like, it's just going to do everything for us. So like, why even, why even build B2B SaaS? Like why even like, why even do any of this stuff, right? Like why build operator? Why build another, you know, CRM? Why, why it, like you're going to be able to like have AI do it, right? You know, the reality is, is that Coding has the lowest barrier entry than it's ever had, right? With things like no code, you know, like you can find devs way faster and cheaper than like ever before in history, right? They're out there, right? You know, things like Fiverr exists, right? Like in top talent, like, you know, talent is globally accessible, right? So what I like to say to folks is what you're buying with B2B software is not just the fact that like we've written the code because you don't have the time to. You're buying our opinions on stuff and our experience and our understanding, right? When someone opens up operator, right? They're not just getting, they're not just replacing their manual documentation from Zapier, right? Like that, you know, where they, you know, manually mapped all their dependencies and everything and in like an Airtable base, right? What they're also getting is I've talked to over 300 people doing this type of stuff. So I've taken the best practice from every spreadsheet. Me and my team have taken the best practice from every spreadsheet we've looked at that is manually being documented and poured it into our solution so you don't have to think about that. So yeah. often I'm someone who's an operator for the first time, they're like, oh, I didn't even think about that as a field, a metadata field to track, right? Like that's what you're yeah. buying with B2B SaaS. And, and these spreadsheets that you've looked at are not spreadsheets that AI systems have ingested to learn from. No, right? so you learned differently than they have. And I totally agree the B2B SaaS comment. It's not just the code. I talk about this, what's the purpose of an agency? We're the PM. We know how to build a product. We know how to make the decision on the UX. Hey, this doesn't make sense. We're going to help you see around the corner. That's going to be a very expensive lesson for you if you don't listen to us. Right. So we yeah. get, get you there a lot faster than you trying to do it. And so that's part of it. The other thing that you mentioned about this, this world of I need a disposable UI. You know, you write a sentence, you get a UI. I think about, you know, AGI, right? This general intelligence right now we're at, I don't know, a third grader or something like that. Let's say we actually get AI to be an adult. Yeah. 
Have you ever worked let's with say, a let's patty? Let's say Kevin and I didn't take their video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but even if it is at the scale of a like normal adult, have yes. you ever worked with a bad employee? Like you tell them to do something and they do something totally different than what you expect. And it's, it's more work to undo it than redo it than just doing yeah. it in the first place. Exactly. It's going to be very similar, right? Like you're going to give it instructions, but you didn't give it the unconscious thing that you should have said but didn't know to say because you haven't seen them do this before. The same thing is going to happen in the, in the AI line by line. And maybe be- like there will be AGIs that are trained on best practices and certain things like you can create your own custom GPTs so they're like better at understanding like the more general model, right? Which I think is totally fair and will probably happen, right? Like hire the best 10x engineer today, right? Like, and they're thinking about stuff. But yeah, I just, I like, I just, I, I, I struggle on that. I struggle on that part of it too, right? Like, how, how good can it get? Like, humans just start terrible at giving directions. And yeah. it's just, you know, and there's all this like practice that you mentioned that comes with this stuff that like, it, it doesn't matter how fast you can build something. It matters like, and that, by the way, that does help, right? So the thing I like to tell no coders all the time who are like beginning their journey in no code on like the operations front is it's not that like, so many times operational professionals get their hands on these tools like i can finally build what i want to build right and they just start building shit without a process map without a prd without like any of these things that they just think are a waste of time and will slow them down or like without talking to people oh my god ops people are the worst we are admittedly the worst treating our internal stakeholders like customers we're like well use it so whatever i'm just gonna build her i know the process sucks so I'm just going to do it. It's like, you would never do that in the classic MVP world. So you would talk to people. So there's all these skills that you have to have that just because the building of it is faster, it doesn't remove the need to like think and understand is this a problem worth solving and how to actually go about solving it in a way that's going to gain adoption. Like, and it's not going to solve those problems for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that's all those problems. And, and this and is yeah, the no good problem. Like the general indie hacker world of, I think I know the problem. I can build it in Bubble in a weekend. I'm going to build it. And yeah. why it never goes anywhere. Because you right. can solve the right problem for the right person. Right. And Just because you do it fast doesn't mean it's the thing that needs building. Right. Right. I totally agree. Yeah, what a conversation. Philip, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we learned yeah, about you. Right. Operator, yeah. no code. Your pitch for no code. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, you owe me 1% pro rata in any round raised using. Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> in which. Philip, where can people find you after this? So, you know, link, I'm super active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Just Philip Lakin, Philip with one L. And, and yeah, and even just reach out via email, just philip at nocodeops.com. Love talking to folks. And by the way, if you're in the no code space and, you know, thinking about funding or if you're in the ops space thinking about breaking into no code like if you're looking for work if you're looking to hire folks right like for any of those reasons and ones i didn't mention like always feel free to reach out i literally spend you know part of every week just talking to new folks about like anything in this kind of world of stuff so yeah happy to help cool great that's awesome thank you so much for taking the time Thank you, Philip, for coming in and interviewing with us. It was a fantastic interview. I'd love to hear your story, your fundraising journey, and what you think about no-code ops and automators going into 2024. I'm really excited about this specific subset of the no-code industry. I think there's a lot of value there. And thank you for taking the time to speak through it with us and our audience. 
But otherwise, David, that's it for what? This week in Noka. Yeah, we'll see. We'll you. see you next week and in Noka. We won't see you next Actually, week we in No Code yeah. because we're we'll going to see you next year in No Code. Year in No Code because we are going to be taking the next week off for the holidays. So we won't have an episode coming up next week, which is what the GN first end of you know the the G- December month. So if you haven't, if you're not caught up, go back and listen to some of our old episodes. Leave us some reviews, and then we'll see you for the first weekend in January for our next podcast. All right. See you next year. We'll see you next year in no code. (laughs) See you guys.